everybody. This is Phil Town. This is Danielle Town. And welcome to the Invested Podcast, where we are learning to invest like Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. And we have a special treat today. <laughs> <laughs> we do. We talked last time about how Dad and I went to the Daily Journal annual meeting, which is Charlie Munger's annual meeting, essentially. And, uh, and we learned some cool stuff that we want to specifically talk about, like what he said. Yeah. And I thought it would be really cool if we just actually play for you the recording of Charlie, and then we can talk about these things. So this is directly from Charlie Munger. Y'all set? Yeah. Okay. Um, so you somebody, want to lead into this? Yeah. Somebody asked him a question saying that Charlie, in a speech he gave recently, had said that Warren Buffett was a significantly better investor after age 65 than he was before. And he just said, can you expand on that? Like, basically, like, what should the rest of us be doing? And, and this is pretty amazing, considering that when Buffett first started investing for the first 15 years or so, he was knocking out about a 36% annual rate of return. And that return went down steadily over time. Um, today, he's averaged about 19% um, for 50 or 60 years average. Yeah, not too bad. Which is not too bad. But I think what Charlie's saying is that when you get more and more money, it gets harder and harder to invest and find good deals. Because at the beginning, when you're just starting out, like most everybody listening to this podcast, you have thousands of small companies that aren't well followed by analysts that you could get into um, with a little bit of money, and they would make a big difference in your portfolio if it went up quite a lot. Whereas if Buffett did it with $140 billion, that company could double in three days, and it wouldn't have any impact. It wouldn't even be a rounding error. Yeah, yeah. So. He actually directly said in the meeting that it's much harder for them than yep. it used to be. So let's hear what Charlie has to say. Well, and what he said it with this question was more about like the, the continual process of learning and how Warren is really good at that, cool. which was pretty cool for those of us trying to learn how to invest. All right, here All right, we go. Here we go. Charlie Munger. Well, if you're in a game and you're passionate about learning more all the time and getting better and honing your own skills a little more, et cetera, et cetera, of course you do better all the time. And and some people are better at that than others. And it's amazing what Warren has done. We never Berkshire would be a very modest company now if Warren never learned anything. He never would have given anything back. I mean any territory he took was gonna he was gonna keep he was gonna hold it. But but what really happened was we we went out into new fields like buying whole businesses and, and, and we bought into things like Iskar that Warren never would have bought when he was young. Ben Graham would never have bought Iskar. We paid it, you know, five times book or something for Iskar. And it wasn't in the Graham play. And Warren who learned under Graham just, he learned better over time. And, and I've learned better. We, we, the nice thing about the game we're in is that you can keep learning and we're still doing it. Imagine we're in the press this well at CNBC uh, for all of a sudden they're in airline stocks. What have we said about the airline business? We thought it was a joke, it was such a terrible business. And now if you put all those stocks together, we own 
<laughs> One minor airline. <laughs> they own an airline now. Yeah, what Charlie's referring to is that for many years, um, Warren Buffett has made a joke out of um, his airline purchases. At one point, he said that um, if you really wanted to do a favor to investors over time, what you should do is go back in time and shoot the Wright brothers. <laughs> <laughs> because airlines have lost so much money for investors oh over time. Oh, my gosh. And so what Charlie's basically saying here is that they have now invested in airlines heavily, as and this information is just coming out to the public now, um, that they own Delta, they own United uh, Airlines, they own own shares in American and they own shares in Southwest. And um, all of that information, by the way, came out publicly through what we call a guru uh, notification or a 13F notification to the Securities Exchange Commission, which we put onto our website. And which your, um, in our toolbox. Website. And you can also get it at Data Roma. You can get it at Guru Focus. Yeah, it's not actually called a guru notification, but oh, I, no, like, I right. like that you called it that. <laughs> That's what I call it. <laughs> the SEC does not call it that. No, but it's a don't. much more fun name than what the SEC calls it, which yeah. is a 13F filing. Exactly. So, and Which you can get from the SEC if you can figure out how their website works. Danielle's figured it out. I, I'm intimidated from going there. <laughs> But, but really, it's all over the place. And so this information came out that, hey, wow, last quarter, Buffett bought a bunch of airline stocks. And I added them up, and it turns out that he now has airline stocks. These four companies that taken together as a group are about uh, number six, I think, in his portfolio in terms of total size. Oh, wow. So he actually bought a lot of it. Yeah, it adds up to about 7.5% of his total portfolio. Um which is just behind American Express. So this is a major league investment that he's taken. Um, I saw that he was stepping into it a little bit in the fir- in the the second or the third quarter, but man, I didn't. I just thought it was one of the Todds or the Teds doing, hmm. not Buffett. And now it's definitely Buffett. Um, and Munger is basically saying, "Look, we just learn over time. We get better." Yeah. Well, not only we get better, but he didn't say it directly in that answer, but he said in other answers, we are wrong all the time slash we change our minds. Like that doesn't mean he was wrong about airlines 10 years ago, but he's willing to relook and rechange his mind. And I think he also said at some point, you know, we say all this stuff publicly, so we got to not be embarrassed basically. Like we can't be too wedded to what we've said. (laughs) And when things change, we have to change. Exactly. So they're keeping track, let's say of the airline industry and what they see in it is that the major expense of airlines are, is gasoline for the planes, fuel for the planes. And now the oil prices have come down. And you can see by this bet on the airlines that Buffett's view of oil prices is very likely to be that they're going to be stabilized for years in this $50 to $60 range hmm. per barrel of oil, which means they're not going to shoot back up to $120 a barrel. Gasoline is going to stay down in this range. Um, and the reason for that is because frackers can come back into the market in two weeks and, and just pile oil into the market mm. and reduce the price. So that's the first major thing. And the second thing is that the airlines have consolidated now. Yeah, Continental hugely. is now part of United. Yeah. Uh, U.S. Air went to somebody, I think, I don't know, maybe American. Um, Delta and, and uh, what was it, National or what? Uh, I can't remember. It's a Northwest airline. 
Um, oh, it was merged. literally, wasn't it called Northwest? Northwest Airlines, yeah. Airlines. Right. Yeah, they were out of Minneapolis, right? So there's this consolidation now where there were eight, there's now four, and, um, and they bought Southwest Airlines as well, which is the best low-price uh, airline. So they just saw, wow, you get the consolidation of airlines and you get the low price on their major cost, and suddenly you have a profitable business. So I went and looked up Delta, and the first thing I saw was that, son of a gun, this thing is throwing off cash now. Hmm. So Like they're actually making money in an airline. Yeah, you can buy this thing at a huge yield on the purchase price right now, like a real estate deal. Hmm. Very interesting. Yield meaning that like they're generating cash out of the company yep. that yep. if you were the sole owner, you would be getting. I'd be getting or I could put it back in to grow it or buy other companies, but mm-hmm. it's my choice, right? This is called free cash. And, and if you're getting 11, 12% yield on the current purchase price of Delta, that's a, that's a stunning event. That's a mm-hmm. huge turnaround. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and especially it's just sort of amazing to me that we're talking about an airline making extra cash yeah exactly i actually went and looked up united after this i didn't look up delta um i have hated united for years there is nothing good i could say about their customer service at united for years and yet lately i have noticed because i've been flying united back and forth to switzerland because they're connected to swiss air um that they're sort of doing a little bit better. So I went and looked them up, and they have a new CEO, and they're really focused on customer service, on making their employees happy, which, of course, becomes customer service, since they're the ones serving the customers, and on making that United and Continental um, merger (laughs) kind of actually work, like, four or five years after it happened. So they're like, they're really going for it. So I was, I I thought at first when he said this thing about the airlines, like, oh, it's probably just oil based and it's probably just like a pure sort of resources play. But I think these might actually be coming slightly better companies. I think they might be slightly better companies too. Now, remember, none of this stuff we're talking about with individual companies are recommendations for you to go buy something, okay? You've got to no. do your own homework. I have no idea if United's a good buy or not. Right, so you got to get in there and dig in and, and make sure it's something you're capable of understanding and you like it and you can see the future. Ten years from now, it's going to be worth more than you paid today. That's the key thing. Yeah, and I don't know that. Right. But the interesting thing for me like, was to go through that process of Charlie said he likes airlines. I went and checked an airline. I sort of understood why he said, I mean, I actually didn't look at any of the numbers, so I, I don't know what United's numbers are, but, but I, I kind of got where he was coming from on that. And that was a cool little cycle for me. That's pretty good. Yeah. We're getting someplace here. We're getting this is someplace. Good. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's see what else Charlie's got to say, okay? What's, what's the next thing we're going to talk about? Sure. Um, well, I've got a little clip, which is shorter, where he talked about... Um, just being like an like how investing can help you be an honorable person. Like he basically somebody asked him about how do you succeed, and he just said, "You just keep at it, basically." Which I found to be quite resonating, considering that I'm trying to learn this whole investing thing. So let me play that little short bit. Okay. Together and honorable, and get up every morning and keep doing it, and keep learning every day, and you are willing to go in for a lot of the first gratification all your life, you're going to succeed. It may not be as much as you want, but it, you're going to succeed. And so the main thing is to just keep in there and 
be glued together and and get rid of your stupidities as fast as you can. Avoid the bad people as much as you can. And you'll, you'll do reasonably well. So that's that. I really like this idea that Charlie's putting forward there that tells us that these guys who are making huge amounts of money, right? I mean, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars make mistakes, mm -hmm. don't always succeed in avoiding the bad people. Mm -hmm. But that if you keep doing it, like just like we talked about with Rick Guerin's uh, portfolio last time, um, with these huge losses, you know, 42% followed by 34%. I mean, that's way over 50% of the portfolio gone. And yet, here's a compounded annual growth rate of 33% a year, yeah. and $10,000 given to Guerin in 19 years became $2.2 million. Exactly. So you, 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 it's really important to understand that we, while, while rule number one says don't lose money, it doesn't mean we won't. <laughs> right? Well, yeah, it means try not to actually realize that loss of money, right? Like just because a stock price goes down doesn't mean that you've actually lost the money unless you sell. Right. Unless you sell and you're going to sell if you've made a mistake. Well, yeah. And so what Charlie's saying is, hell, we have made mistakes. We have had losses of capital. Um, that happens over time. And one of the most ironic things about Berkshire Hathaway, which is, of course, Buffett and Munger, is that Berkshire Hathaway was one of the mistakes. Yeah, that's really true. <laughs> that's a really great point. Berk they, they, they just bled that company dry and turned it into a, a, essentially a venture cap or a, uh, an investment capital firm. But it was a mistake. It didn't do at all what Buffett thought it was going to do, and they were losing everything on it, so they just changed it. Yeah, I mean, it's a, essentially a shell company now. And originally, it was not a shell company. Exactly. It was a textile company. Exactly. And, and our view of that, of course, of what we would do if we have a Berkshire and we start to realize it's going down the tubes, just get out. You have to Yeah, exit. it's a good point. I was thinking more along the lines of like, as long as you can, this is what, you know, he said earlier is like, as long as you can kind of ride it out and stay steady, you're going to be okay. But you're right. Sometimes you don't get to ride it out. Sometimes it's just... Sometimes Shoot. you just got to go out, get out of it, and, and sometimes you can't. Sometimes you're going to go to zero. But that's why we invest very, very carefully. We think in terms of trying to do 20 companies our entire life and make sure each one of them is a standalone win. Yeah. Um, but even so, the best guys in the industry are going to make mistakes, and so will you. It's not the end of the world. You just keep plugging away is what Charlie's saying here. Exactly. He says if you're glued together and honorable and keep getting up day after day, you're going to succeed. You're going to succeed. You and keep just, getting up. And just try to do the right thing. I, I liked that part of it as well. It's yep. not just stay together and get up every day. It's like do good. You know, I, it just reminds me, when I, when I went into the Army, I wanted, to be, I wanted them to teach me to be a tough guy. I was a 19-year-old kid. And a, a guy, I'd gone to a party, and a guy, I was talking to some guy's date I didn't even know, right? And this guy just knocked me out. Like, knocked me out cold. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I had, you know, and I, I just wanted to be a tough guy, right? I'm going to be a tough guy. Okay. So I go in the Army, and, and, and I got into Army Special Forces. And what I found out was what the Army tells you, you're going to, they're going to teach you to be a tough guy. What they mean is, is you're going to be tough in the sense that Charlie Munger is telling you to be tough here. 
You get hmm. knocked down, you get back up. Hmm. You get knocked down, you get back up. Hmm. You resemble one of those weighted dummies, you know, that you hit and it falls down, but it swings itself right back up again. You just keep getting back up. And that is the absolute definition of tough in U.S. Army Special Forces, in the Navy SEALs, in these really special operations guys. They're looking for that guy that, who will not quit. It's just, you're just going to get up. And the same thing applies here to investing. If you apply yourself to it, honey, if you just keep getting up, you will succeed. No question, you will succeed. And I think you're exactly right. And I think as we are meant to behave in our lives, like do good, try to be honorable to the people around you, to your family, to the people you're surrounded by, to your community, eventually things are going to get a little bit better. And it's the same in investing. Choose good companies. Choose companies with good people running them. Choose companies that have a great mission in the world, that are doing things you support, that are making products that are helpful and useful and well-priced. Choose the, the basis to be good and keep getting back up. And, and I think Charlie, I mean, I love how he constantly like soundbites stuff for us. And yes, like life is way more complicated than that. Sure. But it's useful. It's useful to remember and it's useful to live by. Yep. All right. What else did we like? Well, you had said to me that um, there was a question about index funds. And I know we've talked about that a couple times on the podcast and mentioned them because it's something that a lot of people are really curious about as an investing option. And uh, and Charlie just Well, kinda... what, the question is that... The, at this point in time, Charlie is taking questions from the audience. And this question was about index funds in general as an investment with the question being, what's going to happen with so many people investing their retirement money in index funds? Yeah. The question was, what do you think about the value of the securities underneath and how that's going to affect the index yeah, fund? Because think for a second how an index fund, fund works. And, um, and the, the basics of how it works is this. The index fund buys, let's say you put your money and you buy a piece of this index fund, you buy some shares in it. They take your money and they go buy a pro rata share of the stocks in the index. So the, if the index fund is the Dow Jones Industrial Average, they're going to go buy pro rata to your money mm -hmm. uh, pieces of all of the 30 stocks in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Okay. So if more and more people invest in, let's say, the Dow Jones Industrial Average index fund, which is called Diamonds or D-I-A is the symbol. If all these people are investing in this thing, then the index fund is buying that stock. And if nobody's selling, except people who are not in the index fund, the index fund gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and those stocks keep going up like crazy. Yeah, because people are sort of tangentially buying them. They're making it happen. Yeah. Right? And then they're watching it, the index go up and saying, oh, I need to be in the market. I'm going to put some more money in the market, which means they go buy more of the Dow Jones Industrial Average, which means it continues to go up as a self-fulfilling prophecy. And what this guy was asking is, essentially, isn't this going to turn into a bubble, automatically turn into a bubble? Yeah. Where there's no value, no valuation really being considered because all of the advice from all of the financial services industry is go buy the index. Yeah. And yeah. Charlie has a very interesting answer to this. Yeah, which was super long, so we're not going to play it. Right. But we have, we have notes about what he said. I just didn't want to play five minutes of him <laughs> discussing yeah. this index thing. Yeah. So, um, so what he said is that it's essentially a self-defeating situation. 
It can't work perfectly forever. It'll work for a long time, he said, but it can't work perfectly forever. And that these people who are buying indexes, who are investment professionals, know that. Right. They know it. They know the game is on. And what did he say? He said, like, I don't know how these guys look in the mirror or something, right, didn't he? Oh, my gosh. He said, honest managers know they're selling something they can't deliver. And that has to be agony. But most of them deal with it by denial. (laughs) He said it's a terrible problem beating those indexes. And people just, they just can't do it. It's really tough. He said, uh, said, I would hate to manage a trillion dollars in big stocks and try to beat the indexes. I don't think I could do it. And this is where he got into the difference between investing in indexes and investing the way Berkshire has done it. He said, basically, in Berkshire, let's say we've bought 100 companies, maybe two a year. Um, not hundreds a year, right? Maybe two a year. And that's where our success came from, from two decisions a year total for 50 years. He said, it's a hell of a problem for you people who manage money, meaning the people in the audience Mm -hmm. or the people listening to this who are actively managing money the way the whole financial services industry says you should do it. He said, basically, it's a hell of a problem. Um, And and look, it's going to be very hard. But Charlie says, but why shouldn't life be hard? Yeah. (laughs) And he said that if, it, if it's a big index that you're buying, like the S&P, that one's probably going to be okay because it's such a huge index. It's so much of the market. But it's these small indexes that he was saying are just yeah, so, at some point going to fail. So really watch out for having your advisors buy indexes that are very specific to industries because they just bid up those industry stocks far above their value and it's a bubble and inevitably it will collapse. All right, what's, yeah, what's next? Scary. We got another one queued up of Charlie? We do. You want to listen to Charlie, don't you? Yeah, I love listening to Charlie. I hope you guys don't mind. <laughs> I really like it. I could listen to him over and over again, and I hope you can hear him okay. He's... Well, this one that I've got now is like perfect. It's, it's just what we talk about so much, and it's what so many people ask me about. It's about diversification. Whether or not really. Basically, the question was, really? (laughs) I mean, the question actually was a hypothetical. He said, the questioner said, if you have a billion dollars in a foundation, would you really invest that billion dollars in only three stocks? (laughs) And basically, the guy was just like, are you sure? Really? Really? And Charlie just goes, well, I'll let you listen to what he said. Because here's the thing. This guy was. I, this guy may have been representing a foundation and was just really curious if that's something Charlie would do himself. You know, thinking that this is other people's money, they can't afford to lose it. It's got a good cause, blah blah blah. So surely you would diversify more to get rid of the risk, right? Because that's what the rest of the world tells you you must do to get rid yeah. of the risk. Yeah, and you think of a foundation, you think you got to protect the capital, protect the endowment. Yeah. It's yeah. a little different yeah. than a for-profit enterprise. So diversify. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Okay. Here it comes. Oh, with a non-diversified portfolio. Of course I'm, well, if you take the mongers, I care about the mongers. The mongers have three stocks. We got a block of Berkshire, we have a block of Costco. We have a block of We Lose Fund. And the rest is dribs and grabs. So am I comfortable? Am I securely rich? You're damn right I am. <laughs> and 
Could other people be just as comfortable as I am who didn't have a vast portfolio with a lot of names in it? Many of whom neither they nor their understand or their advisors understand. Of course they'd be better off if they did what I did. But and and is three stocks enough? What are the chances that Costco is gonna fail? What are the chances that Berkshire Hathaway is gonna fail? What are the chances that Lilu's portfolio in China is gonna fail? chances of any one of those things happening are almost zero. And the chance that all three of them are going to fail. Of course it's going to, that's one of the good ideas I had when I was young. When I started investing my little piddly savings as a lawyer, I tried to figure out how much diversification I would need if I had a 10% advantage every year over stocks generally. I just worked it out. I didn't have any formula, but I just worked it out of my high school algebra. And I realized that if I was going to be there for 30 or 40 years, I'd be about 99% sure to do just fine if I never owned more than three stocks and then my average holding period was three or four years. And once I'd done that with my little pencil, I just, I never moment believed this baller to actually teach about wide diversification. And then, if you're, diversification is a rule who don't know anything. Warren calls them know-nothing investors. If you're a know-nothing investor, of course, you should own the average. But if you're not a know, if you're actually capable of figuring out something that'll work better, you're just hurting yourselves for looking for 50 when three will suffice. Hell, one will suffice if you do it right. One. If you have one cinch, what else do you need in life? And so the whole idea of that the know something investor needs a lot of diversification. To think that we're paying these professors to teach this crap to our young. <laughs> and that people think they should be paid by telling us to diversify. Where it's right, it's an idiot decision. And where it's wrong, you shouldn't be teaching what's wrong. So it's what's going on in corporate finance teaching is that people are getting paid for dispensing balderdash. And since I never believed it, it was a great help to me. It helps if you're out in the market and the other people are believing balderdash and you know what the hell's going on. It's a big help. But so, of course you don't want to lie. If, if your Uncle Horace, who has no children, has an immense business, which is immensely secure and powerful, and he's going to leave it all to you if you come to work in the business, you don't need any diversification. You don't need any corporate finance professors. You should go to work for Ultra Horace. It's a sage. You only need one sage. And sometimes the market gives you the equivalent of an Uncle Horace. And when it does, step up to the pie cart with, pie cart with a big pan. Pie carts like that don't come very often. When they do, you have to have the gumption and the determination to to seize the opportunity shortly. There you go. So just, Uncle Horace. Just in, let's just hit the high points because sometimes it's a little hard to hear, Charlie. So real briefly, what he's saying is, in answer to this question, are you sure you really want to do it with three stocks? He's, he said, look, my family yeah, he's has saying, three stocks. He's saying the Munger family the Munger is well, very secure. Right. <laughs> and it has three stocks. It has three stocks. And then he names them. He has, he has Costco. He has Berkshire, so he's got a piece of Warren's company, and he's got a chunk of Lee Lu's 
fund? Fund, which is called the Himalaya Fund, okay. which is invested across North American and Chinese stocks by a guy who is a Berkshire-type, Buffett-type investor, Rule One-type investor. And Charlie took a chunk of his money and funded the guy and said, go invest it for me. Hmm. So that's where his money is. And then he went, he went and on to say... let me just say, I found it very interesting as he was saying that he only had three stocks, and he didn't point this out. Those three are different from each other. Like, he is somewhat diversified amongst those three, right? He's got one individual company, which is Costco. Right. Which is purely American. He's got Berkshire, which has a whole bunch of uh, holding companies. companies. Yeah. So he's essentially diversified in that way, but under the Berkshire umbrella. Right. And with great managers at both. Right, right. And then he's got something completely different, which is a fund, which uh, is invested in more in, in international right. companies, which I thought was like a fascinating spread. But don't, don't take it to mean that Charlie is being sneaky and not think... really diversified and is actually diversifying, because he's not. No, no, he's not. But I did find it wasn't like he owns... Costco's Sam Club and some other big box store. You know what but I mean? But he could own yeah. those three. And it wouldn't, he... wouldn't be any different in his mind. Because what he's looking at is, where is this going to be in 10 years with these managers? And am I buying it on sale now? And he's he came to that conclusion on Berkshire. And Berkshire was substantially on sale a year ago. And... Um, and the same thing with Costco, which hasn't been on sale for years. Mm-hmm. Love to be able to buy some Costco, but can't. And, um, and then Lee Lu is a guy that is creating really good value. So it's all the same basic thing. And we can do the same thing. We can invest with people like David Einhorn or Bill Ackman or totally. Warren Buffett. Totally. Yeah, but just buying the companies that are public that have their companies. Yeah, but I guess... Maybe I'll just take this as my own personal opinion since you don't agree with me. I enjoy that he chose different industries to invest those three investments in. And it's something that I notice as I'm thinking about, like, what do I want my anti-fragile portfolio to look like? I'm not sure I want to be entirely in one industry that might be super susceptible to a recession. Okay, but then you're going to ride right through that, right? Yeah, so you would. The only thing that happens when it's really susceptible to a recession is it goes on sale and you can buy more. Yeah. So again, it's like thinking about that piece of real estate going through a recession that affects Boulder, Colorado in some mm-hmm. dramatic way and a lot of people leave town, but you've still got that great business. So while real estate prices are going down, your cash flow is not changing particularly, not in any long-term sense. And unless Boulder itself is going down, that investment's as good with a recession as it is without one. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, I take your point. You're saying it doesn't, as long as you're long-term, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, recessions matter in one major way to our style of investing. They present opportunities. And it's frustrating. Like right now, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit frustrated <laughs> that it's difficult to find six-inch bars to jump over in this market yeah because this market is being massively manipulated by the federal reserve yeah so 
what we're hoping is that we get a recession so it can get back into this thing. There was even an article I read in the Wall Street Journal the other day that said, this market is very difficult for value investors. (laughs) Like they just threw that in an unrelated article. There it is. Because it's just like gospel at this point. Yeah. And, And this is the similar kind of market happened in 1997, 1998, 1999. Extremely difficult for people who are looking to buy things at a good price. Um, and you just have to wait for the inevitable end yeah. because it will come and it will come relatively soon. And if you're listening to this podcast, you should be preparing for that because the opportunities are going to be here in a year or two or three that there's going to be a either a decent recession or a humongous recession or a depression. All of those things are, are in the world of possibilities, right? Mm-hmm. Each one's less likely, but it's all... All possibilities. So what we want to do is we want to structure ourselves so we're ready for that opportunity. We will be, in Nicholas Taleb's view, anti-fragile if we follow these ideas. Because if you can't find good companies that are on sale, then you're not going to buy anything. That's going to put you in cash automatically. When the market crumbles, everyone else who's fragile gets crushed by it. All those index funds, everything goes down like crazy. And here you are with cash to buy great businesses that have great free cash flow. You get them on sale and you put them away. Yeah. Boulder Real Estate. You're ready. Excuse me. You're ready to go. Yeah. I want you ready to go. I want to be ready this, to go. This next recession, and you've got some decent capital to work with. If you're ready at the end of this or in the middle of this next recession, you will be able to find uh, stocks available to you at prices that will make you very rich. Hmm. Well, that's you don't great. need very many of them. So you guys, email me at questions at investedpodcast.com and let me know if you think that Charlie is diversified or not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what else, what else? let's recap what else he said there. Well, the, the other big thing is that he's really going right into the teeth of the financial services industry that wants you to diversify. He's basically saying, you remember that Warren Buffett says that People who diversify are the know-nothings. Yeah. If you're a know-something kind of person and you're diversifying, you're just being an idiot. You're following idiot instructions. And the people who teach this stuff, as Charlie says, this balderdash, mm-hmm. are they're, it's incomprehensible to Charlie that smart people will teach this. Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite things he said, and he said it a little bit differently, so I'm paraphrasing, but one of my favorite things he said was that if you diversify and you choose the right company, you're wrong because you didn't buy enough of it. And if you're wrong about that company, then you're wrong. So either way, you're wrong with the diversification exactly. model. <laughs> so there's, there's so much to, to uh, gather from, from listening to Charlie. Um, and what we're going to do is put a link to the video that was taken of Charlie. We'll, we'll put that link in our show notes. So you have it. It's about two hours long. You can watch the whole thing. You'll get things out of there that are, are unique to you. And he talks about life. He talks about what would you teach your grandchildren? What, what, you know, how should I live a better life? He gets into a lot of great stuff. So we'll put that link out there so you guys can bring that video up. And I think we should, we should wrap up. But, I, but I'd, rather, I'd like to wrap up with one quick quote from Manesh Pabrai. Please. Since he was there in the room. Sure. So you have these fabulous investors who are there. Um, and I didn't even get to see guys that I know. I, I understand Whitney Tilson was there, and I miss seeing him. So here's what Manesh Pabrai said. He said, it's not about finding the cheapest deal in town. It's about finding the best rocket ship with the least downside. Hmm. This is Manesh's idea 
overlaid on Charlie's that you're looking for a rocket ship, a free lottery ticket with the least possible downside. And you're going to make that least possible downside by understanding the business. It's got a protective moat. It's got great people running it and you're getting it on sale. Hmm. So I think with that, let's wrap it up. Yeah, let's wrap it up. I'm, I'm still thinking about that quote now. And the next time, ship. are we coming back to buybacks? Oh my gosh, we got to come back to buybacks, okay. Dad. Buybacks, very, very important way of thinking about what a company's doing with your equity um, and if they're doing it properly when they're paying out dividends and when they're buying back stock. We'll tell you how to know the difference. Yeah, and it's been my um, observation that a lot of people think they know what buybacks are and actually are a little bit off on it. So right. we're going to talk about what they actually are and what they look like. We are going to straighten that out. <laughs> Sounds good. So until next time. Thanks, everybody. And thank you to Charlie. For his <laughs> thanks, Charlie. And now it's time to go play. Bye. See ya. Hey, thanks for listening to Invested. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Head over to investedpodcast.com for our show notes and a special offer on how the podcast listeners can attend my three-day transformational investing workshop for free, where we just teach the heck out of you for three straight days. We don't sell anything, and we get you a scholarship to come to it for free. So come on over there and take a look at that. And by the way, as our lawyers want me to say, everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion, and my opinion's right, and is not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So this podcast is just for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoyed it. So until next time, time to go play. <laughs>